And now, for the most famous words in motorsports, please welcome award-winning chef and series host of The F Word with Gordon Ramsay on Fox. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Gordon Ramsay. Drivers, start your engines. Let's go. All right, and welcome into another edition of the XP Podcast. Tyler Head, Dalton Mullinex with you as always. Coming off Dover weekend at the Monster Mile for the NASCAR Cup Series and the NASCAR Xfinity Series. There's only one word to describe what we saw on Sunday in the Dryden 400. Dominance. Pure yeah. dominance by Hendrick Motorsports going out and as a team leading all but 18 of 400 laps. I have not seen a team, Hendrick Motorsports specifically, look that strong in one race i guess since what the shr cars did at talladega in the playoff race in 2018 where they just like pulled away from the field but even that's a super speed boost, so that's different but like a more technical racetrack like dover it was unbelievable what we saw on sunday yeah it was i mean obviously we thought that you know they've got some drivers that have good history there mm-hmm. they've been well but you know the fact that what was crazy to me is the fact that it had only been, you know, all four cars finishing in the top four. Yep. Um, that had only happened three other times in the history of NASCAR. Yep. You know, not like three times this decade, the history. And like that guy, I, I was talking to my dad earlier and, and we were just talking about, you know, how rare that is obviously. Cause well, I know it was the Roush guys, but what year was it when that last happened? I believe that was 2005, and that's back when Roush actually had five cars. So yeah, wasn't so, uh, the entire team sweeping the top four. It was four cars from a five-car team. This was literally the entire team asserting its dominance against the field. Yeah, th- it reminded me so much of what Truex did at the Coke 600 a few years back. Mm-hmm. But that was only one guy. You yeah. had four that were on it and it wasn't like they got lucky like you said they led all but 18 laps yeah i, I mean it, it was a butt whooping and the curse of uh larson's second place continues because he led over 300 of those laps maybe he led 200 let me see here Double check. he led 263 of the 400 laps so led well over half the race ends up coming in second and it comes down and, and here's the thing larson's pit crew was fast all day long i remember somebody tweeted out for one of their earlier pit stops because they didn't have like a 12 second stop like these guys don't have a weakness today they are unbeatable alex bowman's 48 team yeah. had an even faster pit stop on that last one and got, i think it was like 11 6 maybe it was something stupid I, I know that it was the fastest four tire pit stop of the entire season yeah and what's and we'll get to like what happened after that, but but the fact that they're doing that with only five guys over the wall. Remember, they used to have six guys that could go over the wall, and they were you know, doing twelve second stops back then. They took that away three years ago, and now we're shooting under like twelve seconds. That's unreal. Yeah, it's just impressive, and I know that um, I forget his name, but the the Denny Hamlin crew member you had on our podcast. Yeah, he talked about that a little bit yep. and how you change of going from six to five over the wall and, and basically just you got to adapt to it and and you know they they needed a, a clutch stop and boy did they ever get one yeah and it as the race was playing out on Sunday I think the only like 
actual green flag pass for the lead was when Byron passed Truex early on in the race. After that, pretty much if you got the lead, you weren't going to get passed. The, the dirty air was very prevalent at Dover, and that's nothing new, even with the low downforce. Like, we know Dover's a harder place to pass, and it is a track that does have multiple grooves, but just and, – and you saw that later in the race when, when um, like, Chase Elliott got up to – Kyle Larson's bumper. I think Chase may have actually had a faster car than Larson at one point in the race, but he just got to his bumper and couldn't get around him. So when uh, Alex Bowman gets by Kyle Larson on that last pit stop, if the caution isn't going to come out again, you kind of got the feeling like, okay, Bowman's probably going to win this race. Yeah, and I, I think Larson's comments after the race just tell you where Hendrick is and it's an entire organization. All four cars were so good that you could put any of the four out front and it wouldn't have mattered. You know, I, I Kelly, there was a, obviously when you when you whoop the field like you did yesterday, you're going to walk around with your with your chest out and, sure. and but they were, you know, they they walked or they talked to talk, they walked the walk and um you know, it's it's that, that yeah, I I still I, there's not enough adjectives to describe how dominant they were yesterday. Yeah, it was unbelievable and um for for Alex Bowman again Maybe he didn't have the best car. You know, maybe he had the third best car between um, him, um, Larson, and then Chase Elliott. But, but similar to what he did at Richmond a couple weeks ago, when it came down to crunch time, he and his team executed. So it was him. Well, I mean, he had a good pit stop at Richmond. That put him in position to take the lead. But he took advantage on that late restart. And then on Sunday, he has a really good pit stop. And, hey, even if it is hard to pass, you still have to go out there and hit all your marks because if you – run up the track or if you hit the wall or something like that, somebody's going to pass you. So he had to drive almost a perfect final hundred or so laps to make sure that he won that race. And that's exactly what he did. Well, one of the things too is, is there on that last kind of, you know, two stretch runs, if you want to call it, there were, there were cautions that they had to stay out on old tire, you know, old, you know, they had a yep. few laps on. They hadn't done that all day. Yep. And I think that, you know, that just shows, I don't know. I've been, I've completely missed. Alex Bowman of what I thought he would be. Yeah. Well, um, and, you know, just kind of going back to the conversations that we've had over the past couple of years on this podcast, anytime we talk about Hendrick Motorsports and their future, we always kind of label Bowman as that odd man out. Like, okay, if Gregson's going to come up and run the Cup Series next year or the year after, well, they're probably going to end up pushing Alex Bowman out because, of course, Chase Elliott isn't going anywhere. Larson just got there and he's successful. William Byron's kind of a legacy at Hendrick at this point. He's not going anywhere either. So the only movable piece that we've seen has been Alex Bowman. And, you know, uh, Rick Hendrick was asked about it after the race, like, hey, you know, what's the, what, what's the ETA on maybe a multi-year extension? And he basically said it's coming and it's coming soon. So yeah. Bowman's going to be here for a while. He's no longer having to race for his job. He's done enough to show Mr. Hendrick and the rest of the team, like, I deserve to be here and I deserve to be locked into something long-term. And, and, he, and he's earned it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I you look at, I forget, you may be able to rattle them off, but he's won it a mile and a half, a one miler, and, and three quarters of a mile. Yeah, That's he, correct, right? He, so he won first at Chicago Land, mile and a half, two mile auto club, three quarter mile, and now a solid mile. Yeah. So yeah, he's outside of a road course in a super speedway. He's basically checked all the boxes. And we know he can run well at both of those. And, mm -hmm. you know, look, it's obviously – the five-year turnaround for Hendrick Motorsports has been a 180. Yeah. You know, after the championship, they went to the new Camaro, and it was a crapshoot for a yeah. little bit. And But they've they found something, and 
they don't want to look like they're slowing down anytime soon. And I believe we either touched on it last episode or the episode before that, but you could be looking at this Hendrick lineup staying the same for the next 10 years. I mean, it, theoretically, I mean, obviously stuff changes and you don't always, you know, the, the plans change. Um, but, you know, Rick Hendrick could have his lineup set for the next decade if he wanted to. Well, and I think that's why they're having so much success right now. You think about between Chase Elliott, William Byer and Alex Bowman, this is the fourth season they've all been teammates together in the Cup Series. And you bring in Kyle Larson, somebody that's driven for a satellite team in Chip Ganassi Racing up to this point and had a lot of recent success. So you kind of plug him in with the amount of skill that we know he obviously has. So now you've just created this great foundation. And like you said, none of these guys are going anywhere anytime soon. And once we find out how long Alex Bowman's locked in, that'll be even more confirmed. So, yeah, I mean, for the next four, five, six, eight, ten years, we don't really know. I don't see the Hendrick lineup really changing all that much. Yeah, and what's what's interesting is how young they are. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at the you look at the Gibbs guys, and obviously they're a little bit up there in age, and and you know that I think they've still got from top to bottom the best lineup. Yeah, um, but it's like, you know, it's, you know they're not going to be around forever. Yeah. I, I mean, so I it's say, it's. It, what's more likely to happen? The Gibbs lineup being the same in 10 years and the Hendrick lineup being the same in 10 years? The Hendrick lineup, oh, the, of course. Yeah, 100%. So not saying that's going to happen, but it's more likely to happen than the Gibbs lineup. Yeah. So Yeah, I mean, I mean realistically, Kyle Busch and Christopher Bell are going to be the only two left in 10 years. Yeah. And, you know, you know is, is Harrison Burton, Bubba Waz, you know, who's going to be filling those other spots? We don't really know, but – Gibbs is getting ready for, you know, kind of what Hendrick Motorsports ran into in the middle of this past decade where Jeff Gordon, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Jimmy Johnson, Casey Kane as well, just were getting to that age of retirement. So you knew, like, okay, we've got to replace this piece. Well, in three years, we've got to replace this guy. Now we've got to replace this guy. And that all came to an end, of course, last year after Jimmy Johnson finished up. So now you officially have this fresh slate. And like you said, here's your lineup for five, eight, maybe even ten years to come. So you know – Everybody that's in your house right now is going to be there for a while, and you can kind of go from there. Yeah, and it's a, it's obviously a good problem to have. I mean, yeah. there's growing there's growing pains with it, but sure. I mean, it's a problem to have. It means you know you replace Hall of Fame drivers. That's what you want to do, you yeah. know. Uh, and it takes time. And um, I saw somebody tweet since we brought up the Gibbs guys. We'll go off on a tangent here for just half a second, okay. but uh, I, I brought this up or I saw this brought up on Twitter and it was talking about, um, you know, how like, and we've talked about it before, how, how sometimes Gibbs doesn't let his guys develop. You look at Daniel Suarez, there, there's, you know, Eric Jones, how they just get the early boot out of the car. But look at it paying off, look at it pay off right now for Chase Elliott, mm-hmm. William Byron, Alex Bowman, you know, and, and not to say it, it would, it would have happened had, you know, Suarez had more of a chance at Joe Gibbs or Eric Jones, but like, I thought it was a very good point of just they run their organizations two completely different ways. And I don't think there's a right or wrong way. They're both successful. But, you know, at the, at the end of the day, you just – I mean, for me, I, I like the Hendrick way just because I like, you know, counting on your guys and giving them a, a true shot at it. Well, and, and this is what kind of hinders Joe Gibbs Racing is they are – basically the sole Toyota team in the Cup Series. You have your satellite team with 2311, and you have the alliance with um, the 96 car as well. But for the most part, that is the solid Toyota team in the Cup Series. And again, 
with not a whole lot of turnover these past couple of years, there's only so many places to plug these guys in. But Toyota, it has this development pipeline where they're just constantly putting driver after driver in from ARCA to the truck series, the Xfinity series. And it comes to the point where no matter how talented you are, there's nowhere else to go. So, right. okay, so yeah, Eric Jones gets a couple years in the 20 car and, you know, does okay, wins a couple races, but it's like, man, this Christopher Bell guy, we think he's a better talent. We get Jones out of here, get Christopher Bell in that car. And, you know, it's worked out so far. He got the win earlier this year and that's been fine, but you know, you're just going to keep stepping on your own toes by having so many guys in your pipeline. You're going to have to start replacing development guy after development guy to the point where you may end up putting yourself in a situation where you never truly have the lineup that you could have because, you're just trying to move too many pieces at once as opposed to Hendrick Motorsports. I look at Chase Elliott and I look at William Byron where they were kind of focused in on from, a, from yeah. early on. And um, William Byron, I know he drove trucks for KBM. He was in the Hendrick development program in late models before that, as mm-hmm. was Chase Elliott. Like these guys were picked up before they were really on the radar of people at the top three levels of NASCAR. It's like, okay, we're going to put you in these late model cars and the opportunity comes, we're going to get you trucks. We're going to get you to Xfinity. And, you know, it, it was kind of, it went at the pace they needed it to go. Chase Elliott spent two years in the Xfinity Series, won the championship, obviously. Then he was ready for the Cup Series in 2016. William Byron kind of flew through the bottom ranks, you know, got up to the Cup Series after only one year in um, trucks and Xfinity. But that was just kind of what those two guys' individual careers needed. And it wasn't like, okay, we're, we've got Chase Elliott. We've also got these two other guys that were developing as well. And, you know, if they're successful, they got to go somewhere too. It's like, no, they focus in on one guy, you know, and I, it was probably something along the lines of, I think Chase Elliott signed his development deal in maybe 2011 or 2013. Like, okay, Jeff Gordon's going to be retiring within the next five to six years, more likely than not. Here can be the guy to replace him. Let's develop him from the bottom and get him ready for five, six years, whenever that day comes. And that's exactly what they did. I don't think Joe Gibbs Racing and TRD have that same mentality. It's like, okay, here's this talented guy. Let's throw a bunch of money at him, get him in a truck. Let's see if he can win. And if he can win, well, we've got to move him up to the Xfinity series. Okay, yeah. the Xfinity series now, there's nowhere else to go in the cup series. And then he's going to go jump to another team because they offer him a cup ride. Yeah. You know, and sometimes slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. You know, I, I, I just, I didn't even, I, I just, when we started talking about that, I just wanted to bring it up. Cause I thought, I thought it was just a good conversation. There were, you know, people arguing for each side, and yeah. and I get it. I mean, you know, it is what it is. Um, but it's just, you know, it is an interesting way to run an organization. It was an unexpectedly bad – I'd call it a bad day for the Joe Gibbs guys uh, on Sunday. Yeah, so – and especially with what we've seen out of Truex in the 750 races going back to last week, you know, when he fired up and led the first 16 laps of the race, like, okay, you know, this can be one of those days where, you know, maybe he leads 100 or so left, wins a couple stages, and he's in the, you know, contention for the win all day, and he just completely fell off a cliff and was a non-factor. Where did he end up finishing? It was bad. He finished – It was – Uh, let's see. He finished 19th a lap down. I was going to say, I know he got passed by Bowman there – you know, towards the end of the race, and it was just kind of, I mean, obviously he had some nose damage. They said that they had some trash on the grill, and yep. he tried James Davison as a as a, as a a pick, I guess, to, to get some stuff off the front of the nose and, and actually ran into him. So um, uh, uh, Hamlin was the only Gibbs driver to finish in the top 18. He got a top 10, but Truex ended up finishing 20 or 19th. Um, Christopher Bell finished 21st, four laps down. Kyle Busch had an engine issue really early in the race and finished 27th. He just kind of putted around for the rest of the day. But 
you know, for, for what we've seen out of that team at these 750 races, it just, it was definitely shocking to see how bad they were as a whole. Yeah. I mean, we both picked Joe Gibbs guys and we, we, we whiffed on the weekend as well. Mm -hmm. So still six to four. Um, and I don't know if that's specifically because Dover's not really like any other track on the schedule. It's a one mile. It's not really a short track. He uses the short track package, but like, I can't, Maybe, I guess maybe similar to Nashville because they're both concrete tracks, but I can't really think of what you would take from a Dover to apply to really any other racetrack. So maybe Gibbs didn't really see the need in trying to put too much in it, especially now that it's only one race on the schedule and it's not a playoff race anymore. Maybe they kind of was like, you know what, let's focus on some of these other tracks where we know it's going to be important in the final 10 races of the season. Not saying that's what happened, but it's possible. Yeah, it's a possible explanation for it, for sure. So um, talking about some other teams – Finally, and he's had a couple good runs over the past couple weeks, Kevin Harvick finally put together that full day. Comes home sixth. I mean, he there were some times there, particularly after restarts before the Hendrick cars pulled away, where he showed that he could kind of run with those guys for a few laps. And, of course, you know, he was no match for him on the long run. But if finally – Kevin Harvick and the four team are finally coming to the form that we expected them to come into, where they're running in the top ten, they're getting stage points, they're at least in the conversation towards the end of the race when it comes down to the end. Yeah, and that's the thing is, you know, nobody had anything for the 400 guys, and I think yeah. everybody knew. But he was that next guy. You know, yeah. if you're taking the 400 guys out, he went on to win. Right. Um, and, and that's the thing is they're, they're starting to slowly get some of that confidence back that they had last year. Yep. Um, even Rodney Childers said on Twitter at some point in time between in the race and, and, yesterday, or and today when we're recording this was basically, you know, we're figuring it out. It's yeah. taken longer than expected, but we're figuring it out. Just be patient. It's coming. A couple other highlights. Tyler Reddick comes home with a solid eighth place finish. I mean, he ran pretty much top 10 all day. As of now, he's currently sitting in the playoffs on points. And, you know, we've seen him run really well at Homestead, had a shot to win there. We have a late caution and ran really strong at Darlington last week. Um, you know, these tracks where, where the technical skill really comes in, Tyler Reddick's running really, really well. So, you know, needs a little bit more to be that consistent top five guy, but they're putting themselves in position to be a race winning team, maybe by the end of the season. Yeah. It, it would not surprise me in the least if he were to, if he were able to, to scratch one out before the end of the year and obviously try to get it done before the playoffs. But look, if he could point himself in um, to the playoffs and get a win in the playoffs, uh, I mean, anything can happen. We know how aggressive he is and we know how talented he is. So anything could happen. Uh, as well, uh, Daniel Suarez in the 99 car get their second top 10 of the season. Uh, uh, the first one came at the Bristol Dirt Race. This had to do a little bit with pit strategy there. You talked about that last yellow where a lot of cars stayed out and it just being so hard to pass. Even the cars on fresh tires couldn't really carve the way through the field. So another solid run for this team. Again, they are a solid, I'd say, 15th to 12th place car most weeks, which for a first-year team, that's, that's really, really good. It's about to say, if you would have told me They'd be, they'd, I don't know what their average finish is right now, but like you said, they can run about 12 to 15 range on a weekly basis without any issues. And you'd have told me that before the year, I'd have taken that every day. You know, it's, um, it's been cool to watch. Um, I don't know if you watch any of their stuff they put on YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, interesting just seeing how, you know, it, I don't think you could have dreamt of this six, much success early on, sure. um, being a new team, but like, 
it's like they're not shocked, which I think is cool. You know, they're kind of like, you know, we didn't come here to, to run 40th. You know, we came here to make some noise. Right. Speaking of new teams, 23-11 got their first top 15 of the season. Bob Wallace comes home 11th, just missed out on the top 10. Got, Cole Custer got by him there. Again, similar to Daniel Suarez, it really came down to race strategy where they stayed on that last pit stop and just were, you know, couldn't really get past all that much. A few cars got by him, but, you know, for a team that has been – and here's the thing, they've shown speed – at some tracks, and particularly at the super speedways. He had a good run going at Phoenix. They've shot themselves in the foot more often than not at most of these races. So to finally, and I'd say this race kind of made up for some of those because they had about a 16th to 18th place car most of the day, and they finally were able to just kind of, you know, use strategy to get themselves in the top 15, but that builds confidence, and that's something you can build off of. And, you know, again, it's the first top 15 of the season, so, you know, still got a long way to go before you're consistently running in the top 10, but this is a step in the right direction. Well, don't tell that to Denny because he wasn't too happy there. <laughs> that final restart when, you know. I'll be we'll interested to know the way how that my team meeting goes this week. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I tweeted it. I was like, there's a driver that complains more about guys racing them than Denny him. And some random person responded, Martin Truex Jr. I was like, touche. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh-huh. The disastrous season for Eric Almarola continues as he comes home dead last after he said he didn't blow a tire. He said he broke something and ended up pounding the wall um, in turns three and four really hard, too. It looked like that one knocked the breath out of him. But, you know, and he was I think he was having a somewhat decent day. But, you know, as, as Kevin Harvick and the four team seems to be turning it around, the 10 team just seems to keep digging themselves further and further into a hole. Yeah, that was a tough hit he took. You could see how when – I mean, I was worried about it when he got out of the car and he just – it was like – I mean, obviously it probably knocked the wind out of him. But, sure. um, you know, he just – he didn't look right for a second. Um, well, you think about at a place like Dover, drivers talk about how many of the – like the G-forces that's on your body. And I love the camera that they put in the turn where you see the cars literally going down the hill into the turn to give you kind of an idea of what – they're dealing with it. all that bot, all that force is literally just pushing into your body. Um, yeah. For, you know, to be in the middle of that turn with however many G's are pushing on your body and then it breaks something and goes straight into the wall, have to deal with that G force load. I can imagine it probably, it probably knocks you around pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely not good. And like you said, what a, just a disaster of a season for them. I mean, they just, They've tore up more race cars than anybody. And a lot of it's not even stuff like – it's not even they, their own fault. Right. And it's interesting to me, this season that we're in, of course, you know the next-gen cars coming in next year. If you're a team like Eric Amarola, and let's say you don't make the playoffs, you know, you don't win any races, you're 26th in points, like a lot of teams would say, hey, let's spend the last 10 races kind of focusing on next year and learn some things here and some things there nothing that you learn in the last 10 races of this year is going to apply to next year. So if you're a team like that, again, a top flight organization that's capable of winning races, like what do you do if you don't make the playoffs? Try to, try to help your teammate, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, it, it's, I hadn't really thought about that. It's a good point though. It'll be a rough end of the season. I mean, the, those final 10 races that you know, you're not running for anything. You're not running for a notebook for next year or anything. It's just, I mean, go out there and turn left and sometimes right, I guess. Well, if I'm this team, I know it's May. I'm focusing all my attention on that car for Daytona in August. That, you have to. At this you point, have to. has to be your only shot. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't – because it's not like he's some road course ace. Mm-mm. 
Um, you know, and, and they haven't shown consistent – even when they haven't wrecked, they haven't shown speed, Eric, you know, to go there and take a win from somebody. Eric Almirola, of course, has two victories to come on super speedways. I wouldn't say he's bad anywhere, but outside of the super speedways, he's not really great anywhere either. He's just average for the most part. He's just kind of there. Exactly. You know, and that's – it's not a – it sounds bad, but, like, you know, he, like you said, he's just – he's not going out there and impressing you on all these different style of tracks or anything like that. He's not going to, you know, be a bad driver anywhere, but he doesn't really excel at anything. No, he, he's somebody that, you know, okay, he's running 10th to 12th. That's, that's kind of what I expect. You know, it's yeah. he's not necessarily doing that this year, but if he was, they'd be like, yeah, that seems about right for, you know, the 10 car. Yeah. So, again, just a disastrous season for them. Uh, kind of looking at the playoff bubble as of right now, I mentioned that uh, as of now, Tyler Reddick is currently the last car in. So, by regular point standings, Michael McDowell is the 16th driver. So, all winners are still in the top 16 in points. So, after Reddick, you go down to Matt Benedetto, then Kurt Busch, Ricky Nels Jr., and Ryan Newman. And those guys, let's see. Yeah, they're all separated by right about 20 points. And DiBenedetto is about 20 points behind Tyler Reddick. So these next couple months, I mean, these guys right here on the bubble are probably going to be changing these spots back and forth a lot. And for DiBenedetto, uh, he had a bad weekend at Darlington last weekend, had another bad weekend yesterday at Dover. Like that team, and again, kind of similar to Eric Amarillo, they don't have to go out there and start winning races. They just have to start being consistent. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like they're struggling to keep their head above water right now, though. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if it's because he knows what's coming next year. They know what's coming next year. Obviously, Cendric's going to be in that car. Right. Um, we haven't heard of – I haven't heard of any rumblings of what he's going to do next year, potentially. Um, I've, I've heard there's something, but there's – I mean, nobody's said, hey, here's what it is. It's like, oh, some team has something for him. Though That could mean literally anything. Yeah, so it's like, I mean, I'm wondering if that's, you know, on him. You know, he, he, he's trying to do too much. and I mean, they haven't had the car the past two weeks. That's been the problem. Well, and I look at what happened at Talladega where he's leading on the last lap and ends up, you know, picking the wrong line. It's like, how, how much is that going to come back to haunt him when the playoffs roll yeah. around? If he doesn't win a race, that could literally be the moment that said, there it was, there was your chance. Well, and what's weird to me, I think, is how much emphasis is put on making the playoffs. Mm -hmm. I mean, because, like, just because you make the play, I mean, like, look, congratulations, Michael McDowell, you made the playoffs. I don't expect him to make it out of the first round. No. You know, and it's like, that, that's, that's good for him and that team and that organization and everything. Yeah. But just because you make the playoffs doesn't mean you're some, like, elite driver. So that's why I think that, oh, well, Dippy needs to make the playoffs to have a chance at a big ride next year. Okay, what's the difference if he finishes 16th in points and 17th? One's in the playoffs, one's out. I, I mean, if yeah. he has a crappy season, he has a crappy season. Yeah, you I, know? I think winning is definitely the benchmark that's going to help him more than anything else. Yeah. And, of course, winning would, of course, put him in the playoffs, so that yeah. goes hand-in-hand hand there. But, yeah, it, it for and, again, I, I don't know what this mysterious deal that he already has lined up is. And I don't know if you listen to his podcast, but he seems pretty – confident in whatever's going to be going on next season so I mean he doesn't seem too concerned about it but um I mean he there was ever a, a guy that really needs a win for the end of the year it would be him yeah I mean and and 
I, you know, I, like I, I, when he was when he was leading there with one to go at Talladega, you were like, "This is it. This is finally his shot." And what a celebration it would have been! But it's just, it's just you. You're consistent. You know, you're just like, when is it? Ha- I mean, he's like. I mean, to be honest, I feel like he's the Daniel Hemrick of the Cup Series. You're just like the That's talent. Is it. I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it. Like, when is it gonna happen? It's gonna happen. And it's just how long? How much longer can you wait for it? You know. I don't know, but uh, you mentioned the guy that's going to be replacing him next year in the 21 car. That's Austin Sindrick. Perfect transition over the Xfinity Series as he picks up his third win of the season. And, you know, there's no reason to think that he's not the championship favorite right now. Yeah, it, it's it's him, Al Geyer in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, you know, he was able to, to scoot around him there towards the end and, and capitalize and, that's his um, – I forget. I think it was Car Shop was on the car. I, that's just such a good-looking car. I, the, the pink, I, I think it's such a good-looking car. It's clean. It's really clean. I like that. Um, and for him, he didn't have the most dominant car. He kept it – he had a really good save early on in the race. Yeah. Um, but he kept his car in the top five. And, you know, when he got up there battling with the junior motorsports cars and was able to get by those guys, and kind of similar to Alex Bowman on Sunday, it was just – hard to pass and he was able to hold on to the lead for those last 51 laps so again it's it's putting yourself in a situation to capitalize on something to be able to win a race yeah and and like you said that's win number three for him and look I mean he's somebody who expects to be in the championship four we expect to be there uh and and right now you just need to continue to add to that playoff bank um, because I keep going back to what happened to Harvick. I still can't believe he didn't make the final four last year. Well, and, and for a guy like Austin Sendrick, he's about to encounter a really good next couple of months because we're about to hit a lot of road courses. Yeah, and now's, now's his time to go from, you know, championship contender, in my opinion, yep. along with Justin Allgaier to championship favorite. Like, this is when you can, you can basically tell the field, yeah, that last year wasn't a fluke. I'm back. Right. Well, and I look at just kind of what was lost last year with Chase Briscoe going to the Cup Series, and we talked about all those wins that he had are going to go to somebody. So, you know, yeah, you talk about, it, I mean, Chase Briscoe, um, Austin Centric set himself apart. Justin Algar is kind of right there, but I, I feel like it's a, it's a significant little step down to those next contenders. You know, Harrison Burton runs strong, and we know Algar has won, won, won a race already, but it's like those guys just aren't quite on that same level as Algar and Centric yet. Right, right, yeah. Um, and speaking of that, uh, um, Justin Haley ended up missing the race on Saturday because he tested positive for COVID. Zane Smith had to drive his car, and Josh Berry actually got the opportunity to drive the 77 on Sunday. Speaking of Josh Berry, he picks up the $100,000 Dash for Cash on Saturday. So Junior Motorsports with a clean sweep of the Dash for Cash after Gregson won it, didn't win, and then won it last week. That's a whole different story, but – um, how great is this for a guy like Josh Berry, who we know is just really claw- scratching and clawing for every opportunity that he can. He was fortunate to get these races with Junior Motorsports this year, basically waiting for um, um, Sam Mayer to take over a little bit later on this season. He's made the most of it. He obviously won the race at Martinsville. He's won the $100,000, came close to winning another race last weekend at Darlington. So he's making the most of his opportunities, and I really hope he gets a full-time ride in the Xfinity Series next year. Well, you know, that's what, that's what I think is so cool is, you know, not saying that guys like him get these opportunities, you know, all the time, Yeah. but he's capitalizing. He, he, he's paving the way 
for somebody like him, yeah. you know, five years from now to, to yeah. have this same opportunity. I mean, I just go back to, I mean, you go back to this, the, the road course in Daytona. I mean, I bet junior motorsports wishes they'd put him in it full time. I mean, I, you know, I mean, again, he's not that level of Algar and, and Austin Cindric. He's right there at three, four, and five. I mean, he's definitely a top five driver in the series already. And, and, and look at all the tracks would be going in the playoffs, Richmond, Bristol, Martinsville, Phoenix. Like, those are all in his wheelhouse. There's no reason he couldn't be a contender to win in all those places. Yeah. I mean, and obviously they had the deal worked out with Sam Mayer to drive sure. the second season. So I, I get it. Sure. Um, but it's, um, you know, and, and Junior talks about it a lot on, on Twitter, you know, hey, we're working on sponsorship for him. We're trying to get him in yeah. a full-time here. and. Um, I, which I think thinks we talk about, you know, there's more drivers than seats to fill. And it's like, I don't see a net going anywhere. I don't see Algar going anywhere. Yep. You know, Josh Berry comes back, Sam Mayer's in a ride for next year. Look yep. who that leaves out. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's difficult. And I, I hate the people that, you know, respond to Dale Jr. And say, well, just pay more money and create another car. It's not that simple. You know, no. I hate people that try and spend other people's money, especially in racing, because it's not, it's not what you think it is. Um, yeah, it's not like we're handing you a $5 bill and it's like, go run this organization. Like it's multiple Exactly. You need a committed sponsor or multiple sponsors say, hey, we like Josh. We want to commit to a full season with him. That's what's going to yeah. make this happen. Yeah. So, yeah. But, but for, for both Josh Berry and Alex Bowman, it's kind of cool to see both those guys have that level of success on the same weekend because for as much as we talk about pay drivers, these are two guys that really, like I said with Josh Berry a moment ago, had to scratch and claw their way to get to where they are. And Alex Bowman was running back marker cars starting in parking not too long ago. Now he's winning with Hendrick Motorsports and competing for championships. Josh Berry has been this lifelong short track racer. He's getting the opportunity to race with one of the top flight organizations in junior motorsports, and he's winning and contending for wins weekly. Yeah, I mean, one of the cool things that I have saved somewhere, bookmarked on Twitter, but like Alan Kavana X amount of years ago did a, did a ride to work with Alex Bowman. Yeah. And, you know, he was, he basically was, you know, asking him, you know, why do you keep doing this? And he was like, you know, I just love racing, blah, blah. And one of the cool things he said was, you know, it's not like Rick Hendricks ever going to call me to ask me to drive for him. And like, it's just cool to, like you said, to see guys that, that haven't had it just easy, that, mm -hmm. that had to work for it and, and yep. earn their spot, have success. Yep. Well, you and, can like that. And that's got to be inspiring for however many other guys that are out there, whether they're running local short tracks or running in a, you know, 20th place car in the truck series right now thinking, hey, if I play my cards right and I get seen by the right people, there's no reason I can't be that successful in, you know, five or eight years. Yeah, why not me? Why not me? So it's, it's really cool to see. Um, jumping around some NASCAR news now, this actually came out a little bit earlier. Adam Stern tweeted it that, um, you know, the, the race team alliance, the NASCAR ran their numbers with Nielsen as in regards to, what the moving the number placement would do in terms of sponsor value and placement on the car. And, and they didn't give specific numbers, but they said it would increase the value. However much that is, we don't really know. So it sounds like the numbers are going to move. I will say this, according to the article on sports business journal, it seems like there's a lot of momentum for moving them forward now, as opposed to backwards, which I'm, if we're going to do it, I'm fine with that. Yep. And, um, 
you can, once I'm done saying this, you can use your exalt example. Cause I, I think that's a, a good one, but like, yeah, moving them forward. I mean, look, I wish they'd stay in the middle. Just that's what I like, what I'm used to, whatever, you know, if it brings more money in, be my guest. Yeah. Well, and you know, kind of looking at the pictures from last year's all-star race, having sponsor number sponsor really throws off the way we're used to reading a race car. So we're used to reading number, then sponsor on the back. So when you kind of put a number awkwardly in the middle, it throws the look off of it. And to me, I feel like that's not maximizing the value of that space. So the example that I used before we started recording was, you know, William Byron's Exalta car. So at the all-star race, they had the Exalta A, the 24, and then a smaller Exalta behind it. And that just looked clunky. It didn't look good. But if you move the number forward, you can put the big A right behind the 24 and still have Exalta written over the tire and the quarter panel area. That just flows such much more nicely. You're still getting the same amount of content on the car. It just looks cleaner and it looks better. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It looks so much better. So will they do it? I don't know. But like I said, and I feel like for the most part, the people that are coming to terms with it are saying, yeah, move it forward, not backwards. Yeah. Because you get there's, like, there's almost an illusion with that, that it looks the same if done right. Yeah. Well, and that, that's the key is if it's done right. And you made a good point earlier is, you know, if you give, if you give these designers enough time to sure. um, work on it, they'll get it looking good. Yeah. So when that the final decision comes down, I don't know. I just really like to see some like actual mock-ups of what this would look like to kind of make my final decision on it. But I'm pretty firm that I'd rather have them forwards than backwards. Yeah, me too. Uh, what other news do we need to get to? You had mentioned something a moment ago. Um, oh, the NASCAR, um, along with the CDC. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's right. So Guideline. CDC over the weekend, Friday, maybe it was, you know, made the announcement that, you know, for those that are vaccinated, you are free to go maskless pretty much everywhere outside of, you know, select businesses and stuff like that. And NASCAR kind of jumped feet first into that and said, all right, well, you know, and this weekend's races look about as normal as they've looked in over a year. I mean, I saw a picture of Alex Bowman's crew celebrating with him in victory lane. And it kind of dawned on me like, wow, we haven't seen this in over a year. Like that looks very normal. And the pit reporters aren't wearing masks anymore. You know, everybody, it just looks more normal than it has. Yeah. I mean, seeing, seeing, you know, everybody up on the pit box, nobody had masks on for the most part. Yeah. Um, the, one of the things that I thought was interesting was Rodney Childers tweeted after the race signed my first diecast since probably Daytona of last year. And like, you think like, wow, that that's, you know, that that's crazy to think about, but yeah. here. So um, this, I think, so Charlotte, the 600 will be the first race with full capacity back, but um, Pocono, both of their race going to be full capacity. We'll go to Atlanta in July. That's going to be full capacity. It seems like for the most part, most of these tracks are committing to bringing full crowds back to them. So, you know, and yeah. I, don't, I don't, I can't really think of any track that wouldn't do that between now and the end of the season that hasn't already, you know, obviously probably not Sonoma in a couple of weeks or anything like that, but you know, by the playoffs, I don't, I don't see any reason why all those tracks aren't going to have full crowds. No, I don't either. I don't either. And, and you know, obviously, you know, we, we aren't the CDC, but we can sure. give her on it. Like I've, We've been to races um, with – you've been, haven't you? I haven't, and I'm hoping Atlanta is the next one. Okay, well, so I've been to now three, I call them, co And um, 
you know, look, you're outside. I, I felt comfortable the entire time. And mm-hmm. I'm hoping, I'm hoping, you know, that that's the way it continues to, we head in the right direction still. Well, and much as we talk about sponsors in regards to these number placements, like the at track experience is a big thing for a lot of these sponsors. Most of them probably don't get a great return on investment for paying half a million dollars for one race of sponsorship. It's that experience they can sell to clients to sit up in a suite, to sit on a pit box, to meet a driver, to be in the garage area. Like that's what these sponsors really hang their hats on. And uh, last weekend at Dover was the first time the garages were open to a limited number of people. But I think we had the same thing at Dover this weekend. And I just think as we go along, we're going to increase more and more. Hopefully by the end of the season, you know, we're back to being able to buy hot passes and having sponsor engagements down in pits and stuff like that. Because that's at the core what's really important to this sport. Well, I'm a, I'm a sucker for the fan zone yeah. <laughs> outside the track. Right. But, like, I miss I mean, and it was it, so. I, my first, so I went to Bristol last year. Bristol, in my opinion, Bristol's the best experience of the night race ever. Like, that's, yeah. I, if you're listening to this, you've never been, go. Yeah. Uh, but like, they have the, you know, like they have all the stuff outside the track. It was so weird last year that like none of that was there. And then, obviously, my next race was Atlanta this year. And like, they had a few things. Like the Chevy tent was back, and right. like Talladega. Like have at it, you know, and it's just it's exciting to see that stuff back. Um, because I mean, look, I enjoy that just as much as going in and watching the race, but um that's how you get people hooked on it too. Like there it's it's a it's it, it's entertainment. Well, we've known for the longest time that NASCAR has the best fan experience out of any sport. I can't go meet Matt Ryan half an hour before the Falcons play a game or anything like that. I, you know, b- baseball is a little more open where you can get autographs and stuff like that, but I can't walk through the dugout, dugout an hour before a game starts. Like NASCAR, you can go anywhere and everywhere for the most part and meet anybody you want to meet. So getting back to that is going to be so important, especially as we kind of cross over into this new era and this new generation in 2022. Yeah. What I'm interested to see too, I mean, obviously I, I think that there's plenty of drivers that, that don't like the fans. Yeah. Um, you know, interaction. It'll be interesting to see how, maybe not, I don't want to say pushback, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, when NASCAR says, hey, we're having driver appearance out in the fan zone. You want to go? Uh-uh, nope, afraid of COVID. You know, it'll be, it'll be right. interesting. Right now you have a choice. If you're a driver, and I saw somebody post a picture with like De Benedetto after yesterday's race where he signed an autograph, took a photo. If you want to go meet fans as a driver, you have the flexibility to do so. You're not required. It's going to come back to the point where it's going to be back open and you're going to have to sign autographs. You're going to have to take pictures. So I think the period in between, we'll see what drivers are actively going out there and trying to meet fans. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. With that, we look ahead to one of the biggest unknowns we've had in quite a while, Circuit of the Americas this weekend, all three series in action. This is a very different road course than anything that we've seen. Um, My knowledge of this track comes from watching like the IndyCar races there and just kind of looking at the track map this thing has a lot of very tight corners I I don't know what kind of passing zones we're going to have I don't know how good this race is going to be I'm just going to have to experience it I guess that's the biggest thing is like it's just a huge question mark I was you know obviously before we record every week I, I try to think of you know, who am I going to pick? And it's like, I, I don't even know, especially for, especially for the truck series, you're just kind of like, eh, I don't know. I mean, I'm you know, it's my, my truck series pick is out there. Yeah. It's just, I, I don't even know. And like, you know, you would think that, 
Chase Elliott, Martin Truex Jr., guys like that would obviously, oh, it's an easy pick, but you know, I don't think many of these guys have drove on this track before. Many of them haven't even seen it before. So uh, it's it, going to be a wild weekend. We're going to have practice. We're going to have qualify. It's going to be it's going to be a fun weekend. These next two weekends are going to probably going to feel pretty normal because we're actually going to have Fast Friday. We're going to have qualifying for all three series. Like it's going to be a pretty standard next couple weeks that are going to you know I already miss Pax and qualifying anyway. I'm going to miss it even more after having it on back to back weeks. Yeah, and I'll I'll say this with um, your unofficial meteorologist here. Uh-huh. Uh, it looks wet right now. Oh boy! So I mean, because wow. it's just the way things are setting up. It could be it could be a, a doozy of a of a weekend. And and I, I don't want rain because it's um, you know you want it to the first experience of this track to be sure you know perfect. But heck, maybe the rain makes it better. I, I don't know. We'll, uh-huh. we'll have to see. I'm going into this with an open mind. Um, I like road courses. Like I said, I don't know how good this is going to be. Hoping for the best. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said before, multiple times in here, I'm not a fan of road courses um, for the most part. But I, I'm giddy about this weekend. I, I'm not even going to lie. All right, with that, let's jump into our picks. We have a doubleheader on Saturday with the Trucks in the X-Vandy series. Um, yeah, Truck Series is going to be the first uh, to, to attack this track as far as the race goes. Who comes out on top? So I have, I have no clue. Um, I looked, I have no clue. So I'm just going to go with the hometown boy next to my county, uh, Chandler Smith. He finally gets his first win at KBM. Why not him? So I told you that my truck series pick was a little bit out there, right? Yeah. Making his return to NASCAR for the first time since 2019, Paul Menard in a Thor sport truck. You know, I saw that today. I was looking at the uh, – I think NBC tweeted something about, you know, who's running weird series and stuff like that. And I was like, Paul Menard, that's a weird one. Here's the uh, thing. He's pretty good at road courses. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, good old Paul Menard. I mean, why not? Uh, yeah. guess is as good as any, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, it's just such a weird weekend. And here's the thing, too. Um, it, we don't know if the truck series is going to get go race up in Canada at most sport. That's looking mm-hmm. less and less likely because Canada's still – they're on lockdown. They're, their vaccine stuff just starting to get rolling. So, you know, thinking the truck series can cross the border in three months is kind of a bit of a stretch right now. So, yeah. And then they're going to go to Watkins Glen in August. So these might be the only two road course races we get for the truck series this year. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, all right. Uh, to the Xfinity series now. Um, I really like Noah Gregson. I like, I mean, I, I think it's going to take somebody that's just going to be aggressive and just throw it out there. And, and mm-hmm. I think a guy like him that he's going to push it so hard um, that he may end up finishing 40th or he may be finishing first. I think there's real no in between with him. Um, so I'm going to roll with him. Went out on a limb with my first pick and go out on another limb with this one. Andy Lally in the 23 car. Yeah. So we've seen how fast that – how we've seen, we've seen how fast our motorsports can be in general. Brett Moffitt and Tyler Reddick had really good runs at Homestead. Andy Lally is a road course ace. And you give him a halfway fast car to road course, especially one that most of the field has never seen before, he's going to be in contention if he doesn't wreck. Yeah, he could make some hay. So that's, again, I'm going out there on my first two picks. Why not? Yeah. 
to the Cup Series now. The uh, This is the Echo Park Grand Prix. I can't think of another Cup Series race that's had Grand Prix in the title. So that's a little – that's unique. Yeah. I don't even know where to go. I, I mean, seriously, it's just – like I said, you want to go with somebody like Chase or Truex, but I, I just don't – I don't think it's going to be one of them. Um, I'm going to go with William Byron. Okay. Um, not really a huge stretch. We we know that he runs well on road courses, but I just think that guy the guys that have wins already are going to be able to try different stuff. You know, I think strategy wins this. Hmm. Um, obviously, you're going to need a good car, but I, I think the strategy is going to be a big part of it. So it's very easy to pick Chase Elliott on a road course, and he did not win the Daytona road course start the season, but he very easily could have if he didn't get go off the course late in that race there. So. Even into this season, he'll sh- he's still showing the same speed at road courses. Hendrick Motorsports just whipped everybody's butt this week, and they've definitely got these high-horsepower tracks figured out. I mean, I'm going to go with the safe pick of Chase Elliott. Yeah. So, yeah. And who, who would have guessed he'd be the last Hendrick Motorsports driver to win a race this year? Not, not me and, at all. And especially, I don't think he's led outside of – since Las Vegas, I do not believe he's led a single lap at a non-super speedway. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a weird season. I don't know. But, hey, again, kind of similar to Austin Cindric. I think these next couple months are going to be really big for him because we're going to hit so many road courses. So, there's ever a time to, you know, get that win and finally start thinking about that second championship. This would be it. Yeah. Keep going on the right stretch. All right. Well, now we venture off into the unknown, and whatever happens this weekend happens. And uh, I'm just excited to see how it all plays out. Yeah, me too. And we'll see, you know, how it how it works and um, kind of, you know, what, what potential it has for years to come. Yep. So uh, I'll do it for another episode of the Upspeed Podcast back next week to break down uh, all things CODA. So thanks so much yeah. for listening and we will catch you next time. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.